0: Smith Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> slavery is a concept that really has no place in our thinking today. The idea that one human would have the power to force another human to serve him, it's a, an idea that's offensive to us. Now, the majority of us recoil at the thought. Turn me down just a little bit, sound guys, if you could. I'm hearing a little bit of reverberation here. The majority of us recoil at the thought of another person owning a person. I mean, that's just a repulsive thought. Especially we recoil at the thought of being owned by another person. I mean, that's that's a horrible thought as well. This has been a hot button issue in the news lately. There are people who try to present themselves today as victims because uh, even might be a descendant of of a, a slave. Others try to apply the issue of slavery to their career. National football leaguer Andre Hopkins signed an $81 million contract. And he says, it feels like I'm a slave again. Listen to the master. Go to work. Doesn't your heart just bleed for that guy? I'll be a slave for $81 million, amen. Why do people do that? Presumably, they're convinced they'll get sympathy. Also, there are people that just desire to be a martyr. Uh, In psychology, it's called a martyr complex. Uh, It's the person that wants the feeling of being a martyr for their own sake. Uh, They seek out supposed persecution because it either feeds some need or a desire to avoid responsibility. And because slavery is so repulsive to us and it's so revolting, most people are quick to compensate folks like that because we abhor the thought of being a slave. But did you know that slavery is alive and well this morning? Uh, In fact, there are slaves in Brookings. In fact, I would go as far to say there are slaves in this room this morning. It may surprise you to learn that we're all slaves Uh, The only question is, what master do you serve? I want to read a passage today that Paul wrote, and he's talking about being dead to sin and being alive in Christ. The passage that we read this morning and we'll talk about is a series of contrasts and comparisons. I think that will be a help to us as we see uh, on this topic. Romans chapter 6, let's start reading at verse 15. What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, that word is doulos, translated servants, it literally means slave. All right? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, or slaves, to obey, his doulos, servants, slaves, ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants, slaves, doulos of sin, Uh, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the doulos, the servants, the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members... Servants, do I need to keep saying or do you got it? Dula, slaves, okay? That's what this word means. To uncleanliness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Verse 20, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, Ye you have your fruit unto holiness and the end to everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to ask this morning, whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Father, I pray this morning that you'd give us here extra grace and mercy uh, for the next hour or, the, or half hour or so. We just pray, Lord, that you would put your hand all over this message. I do not have within me today what it takes to give your people what they need. But I pray that you would intervene and through your word meet our need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 400 years ago, the first slave uh, ship docked on the North American shores. Over 12 million people were kidnapped from their native Africa and sold as uh, slaves in ports throughout the Americas. Now, most of them went to South America, but are around the 300,000 mark. Uh, were sold in the United States. majority uh, of the people that were transferred uh, over the Atlantic uh, to the Americas were enslaved by other Africans. Most slaves in Africa were captured through war or surprise raids in the village, and it is a terrible story to see. Uh, Adults would be bound and gagged and forced to march, sometimes for days, uh, to a ship that would take them. Often children were just left to die or even drowned and killed so as not to get in the way. It was a horrible, evil practice. The fact that our nation was a part of it is a sad chapter in our history, but I am grateful and I thank God that uh, there were uh, people in our own history who saw the evil in this practice and we ended it. Amen? And that's a blessing. Now there's a major difference between the slavery that I was just talking about and what Paul's talking about here. The primary being the fact that it's a choice. Uh, Yes, we are slaves, but we do have a choice as to what master that we serve. And that's what we want to ask this morning. Whose slave are you? I want you to see today clearly which master you are serving, and I want to give you the opportunity, if necessary, to change masters this morning. Because if you're serving the wrong master, it doesn't have to continue that way. I want to look at four comparisons in this passage that Paul makes looking, first of all, at the choice. Uh, He talks here about a new liberty. Uh, The new liberty begins with an attitude, verse 15. What then? Uh, Shall we uh, sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Uh, Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now, in our life, we should not expect victory if we do not want victory. Amen. In our Christian life, we will not have victory unless we seek it. Uh, We will not have victory if we have an apathetic attitude toward sin. Uh, God is not going to bring freedom from sin into our life unless we really want it. It is a struggle. It is a battle. It is a challenge. And it doesn't just fall into our lap. Oh, I wish it did. I wish you could download an app called Victory from Sin. Wouldn't that be nice? Just download it and install it. It's a battle. The attitude that... And he talks about it in here. The attitude was there then and the attitude is still alive today that grace gives us a license to sin. That attitude makes deliverance from sin's power impossible. We cannot have uh, deliverance from the power of sin if we have that attitude. If we think that way, sin will remain the master we will remain its slaves. Paul tells us here that we have the privilege of yielding our members to a master. That word yield, <coughs> peristemi, I think is how it is. me, I should say. Peristemi. It means to stand as a servant near one's master awaiting orders. The idea is of a man who is at the beck and call of his master. The whole point of these verses is that we have a choice to make as to who we yield our lives to. There are only two choices, really. There's only two masters. Jesus talks about them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he said, No man can serve two masters. Uh, must, uh, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, the word means riches, or really anything that is opposed to God. You are serving one of these masters this morning. On the one side, there is God. Uh, We are either serving Him, or on the other side, we have mammon, we have the flesh, we have sin, we have Satan. All those can be kind of lumped in the same thing, because to serve self is what Satan wants us to do. To serve self is to serve Satan. You know what Satan's will is for your life? Do whatever you want to do. That's his will. He didn't have a long list of, he doesn't care if you bite the heads off bats or drink blood in a sacrifice. That's not what he's after. He just wants you to do what you want to do. Just do what you want to do. Just don't do what he wants you to do. That's the main thing. Just do what you want to do. That's his will for your life. The choices are very clear. We can walk in rebellion. The rebellious life is any life lived outside the will of God. We can take grace for granted. Verse 15, that's what he says. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Hey, God forgives. I can live how I want to. That's a terrible attitude to have. Uh, Assuming that God is going to accept us just as we are, even though we live like we want to, this is a life of sinful rebellion. Oh, we see that today uh, in our society. We see it in our children. And sadly, we see it in many of our churches. People who live the way they want to live, and you have to accept me as I am. God still has standards of holiness. There are still commandments in the Bible that we are to obey. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. Paul makes it clear here that this type of thinking, uh, they're slaves, they're slaves. The rebellious life is a life yielded to the master of sin. In other words, you're a servant, a doulos, of a slave of sin. That's walking in rebellion. Or we can walk in righteousness is the other choice. We can choose to walk in the will of God, live lives pleasing to the Lord. Instead of yielding our members to sin, we're to present our bodies to the Lord in a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 talks about that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that ye but by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The Bible calls that our reasonable service, and it is, because he purchased us, he redeemed us, he bought us, and so it is the very least we can do to present our bodies to him. So very literally, the choice is yours. You can choose to uh, uh, serve whomever you please. It's a choice that you must make because you cannot serve two masters. Whose slave are you this morning? Not only does Paul speak of the choice that we have in life, we, he also talks about the change that comes. He uh, speaks of past failures in verse 17. Uh, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. He goes back to a time before we trusted Christ as our Savior, back to when we were servants of sin. He reminds us of the bondage that we endured uh, before we came to know Christ. A time that was ruled by Satan. Uh, No sinner, by the way, has control over his life. He is driven by another. What one of us wouldn't like to go back and change a few things? I mean, every one of us, if we had the opportunity, would make different choices. Louisa Tarkington wrote, I wish there were a wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all of our past mistakes and heartaches and grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. I think all of us would like that. Go back and fix things. There's nothing though that you can do about your past failures. There's absolutely nothing that you can do about what is in the past. Hey, stop letting those uh, failures identify you today. Uh, they don't have to make up who you are now. Yes, Satan will do everything he can do to take failures in your past. They might not even be so distant past. Maybe last week, but he'll take those failures and he'll try to beat you over the head with your mistakes. He. Uh, uh, by the way, has the devil ever tried that to you? Maybe I'm the only one. Oh yes, he's like a lawyer. He tries to prosecute you, using the evidence of your life against you. And he tries to defeat you with your mistakes, dragging up facts from the past, reminding us of former failures. Then he actively tries to convince us that we deserve to be in the mess that we're in, that we are nothing more than failures. If the devil is successful in his prosecution then He'll persuade you that you're unworthy, that we deserve the difficulties, the misery and despair that's in our life, and that'll lead to defeatism. We just give in. We just kind of live the way we live. Allow that misery to continue in our life. But can I tell you today, friend, you're not His anymore. The Bible says that we have a new master now. Satan is no longer your master. By the way, when Satan reminds you of, his past, of your past, Just remind him of his future, amen? His future looks a lot worse than your past. Your past failures, we need to get over them. Hey, when you mess up, fess up. Then move on, amen? Continue in your Christian life. Always remember, I have this written down. uh, Every time I open my desk drawer, I see it. Failure is an event. It's never a person. It's an event. Let's never uh, make ourselves a failure. You can't change your past. But praise God, I can introduce you to somebody today that can change your future. So there's a, our past failure. Then secondly, look at our precious faith. Look at verse 17. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Two thousand years ago, the Lord Jesus came down to the slave market of sin He paid the full price for our redemption. He set us free. That is what this form of doctrine is talking about. This form of doctrine then is our emancipation proclamation. This doctrine and our deliverance go hand in hand. The word form here is like a mold where melted uh, metal is poured in so as to take its shape. You could say that the believer is the molten metal The mold is the doctrine of the gospel. When we were saved, God cast our natures into a mold that's described in Romans 6. The gospel then delivers us from the penalty of sin. It delivers us from the power of sin. Being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. It goes further, though, than just deliverance. It forms and shapes our characters as well. Boy, never forget that dividing line between the old life of bondage and death and the new life of liberty through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus bought us. He secured us. And then He freed us to serve the Lord. There is no freedom like serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When did this all happen? Well, He talks about, in verse 17, being then. uh, You have obeyed the heart. Of uh, the form of doctrine which was delivered into you, verse 18, being then made free from sin. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, He freed you from the power of sin. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Often it seems like we are buckling under the power of that sin, and we cannot resist. I love the promise Jesus makes, or, or the Bible makes that he'll never allow us to be tempted above that which ye are able. Always, every time you're on the road to temptation, God provides exits for you to get off of. We are always able to escape the temptation. So we see the choice. We saw the change. Now look at the challenge, verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanliness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness. Again, Paul is using here the image of slavery. Slavery. Uh, He's using the word servants uh, in in our translation we have here, but in that day, uh, doulos, the word he was using, literally meant slaves. And so he was referring to slaves. This was something they would be very familiar with because in Rome at that time, they tell us there were 50 million slaves in the Roman Empire. There's a comparison here. Look again at verse 19. Uh, He says the second phrase there, "...for as ye have yielded your members..." servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity and iniquity, even so yield your members, servants, to righteousness and holiness. Whenever you have the as and even so in the Bible, we ought to take notice. There's something specific there for us. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, There's these comparisons in the Bible, and there's more of those. Uh, When we see that comparison... And now he says, as you have yielded your members to unrighteousness, even so yield your members, servants, to righteousness. They are challenged to remember how they used to serve sin and then apply that same eagerness to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They're to remember their past so that they can see how they are to live in the present. Just as they used to serve sin with their entire person, with reckless abandon, you could say, they are now to yield themselves to the will of God. You see, the sinner is not ashamed or embarrassed of his sin. He's proud of it. Hey, all you got to do is turn on the news. The last week, I see people who are looting and destroying and hurting people and even killing people. Are they ashamed? Do they go on television and hang their head and apologize? No, no, friend. They're proud of it. They uh, are encouraging more of it. A sinner's not ashamed of his sin. He does what he pleases. He lives like he wants to live. He makes no apologies for what he is. Not only does he accept what he is, he demands that you not only accept it, but you endorse it. He wants all of society to have his sin endorsed. A sinner is not ashamed of his sin. The same is true, or ought to be true, of those that are in Christ. We should not be ashamed of the changes that Jesus has made. We should not be embarrassed by our new master, amen. We should be uh, willing to serve Him with that same reckless abandon with which we once served sin. God help us if we have sinners that serve sin with more passion than we serve our Savior. That's what Paul's trying to bring out here. Just as we placed our lives at the disposal of sin and the devil, we now place our lives at the disposal of the Lord Jesus Christ. We let Him have total dominion over our, every aspect of our lives. Let me ask you, friend, do you demonstrate, do You remember your life before you were saved? Maybe, maybe many of you are uh, like me, got saved at a young age. I was 10 years old. I hadn't knocked over any banks. I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't dealt any drugs. Uh, but I desperately needed to be saved, amen? Maybe your life is different, though. Maybe you had a, 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 a sketchy past and a life of sin before. But if you remember that uh, the way that you lived in sin, the way that you went after what you wanted then, do you serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the same passion that you served sin? That's what Paul's telling us here, verse 19. As you served sin, as you yielded your members, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness. So we have seen the contrast between the old and the new and the way that they are lived. By the way, our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be greater than the commitment of the wicked to to wicked living, amen? every, Every day of the week. There's a big difference in what each of these lives produce here, and that's where it comes down in verses 20-23 through 23 to the compensation. You have the choice, the change, the challenge, and now the compensation. Uh, first is the life of sin. The life of sin pays off in three ways. Paul lists them for us here. It is a wicked life, verse 20. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. He tells us here that there is no association with righteousness in the life of sin. The flesh has no power to produce anything other than evil. The Bible says so. Romans 7, 18. For I know that in my flesh there is no good thing. Dwelleth no good thing. The life of the the sinner, the life of sin is a wicked one. The sinner is trapped and often he cannot even see it. It's a wasted life, verse 21. It's not not only a wicked life, but it's a wasted life. Look what he asks in verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? He simply asks the question, what did your life of sin produce? That's a good question for all of us, isn't it? What did your life of sin produce uh, before Christ? What good came out of your evil? The answer is plain, no good came out of it, it never does. We know that. The sad fact is that a a sinful life, a life lived in sin, uh, your rejection of Christ is always a wasted life. It can produce nothing that will endure for eternity, even if you're successful in living the American dream, the white picket fence and the uh, 2.5 kids, I always wonder what a .5 kid looks like, but... Uh, you have all these, even uh, you, you get everything that Americans or America tells you you ought to get. Live in the dream. It only lasts till the day you die. It doesn't last forever. There's no eternity attached. The Bible says, for what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Self-lived life is a wasted life. And then thirdly, it's a wretched life. Look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What it says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The life of sin pays off in death. Not just the death of the physical body, but the idea here is the second death. It refers to the separation of the body and the spirit to the eternal damnation of the lost in hell. That's what this is talking about. There's nothing worse than you can imagine than living a wasted life here on earth and then dying without Jesus and spending eternity in hell. What a tragedy. Yet, that is exactly what will happen to any person who dies separate faith in Jesus Christ. Will that be you? Notice here, the Bible, this is interesting, the wicked person, the Bible says, receives wages. This is... Fair compensation for a life lived in evil. Now we may look at that and think it is grossly unfair for a sinner to have to go to hell. But God says that they are receiving what they earned. Stop and let that sink in for a second. That means that hell is not a place where people are sent to by God. It's a place where they worked to get into. Think about that. To go there, a person must get over obstacles that God has placed in his way, the Word of God being one of them. The Bible is more available today than it has ever been. Anybody that would like to, even if they don't own a, a hard copy of the Word of God, could download it to any smartphone, a computer. It's free, it's out there. Gideons are one example and make it free to anybody who wants to have a Bible, can have a Bible. Uh, there's the church that they have to get over that obstacle. The church is not only on many street corners uh, all over America today, but you can turn on the television and hear preaching, turn on the radio, go online and hear the preaching from the Word of God. Uh, there's the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's the revelation of God in nature. There's the prayer and the witness of Christians, God's people, Amen. I said there's the prayer and the witness of God's people. We ought to be faithful in that. Those are obstacles that God places in the way. The fact is, God does not want you or anyone to ever go to a place called hell. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, uh, but is long-suffering to usward and is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. What a waste. What a waste it is to live life without God. That's the life of sin. Then we see the life of salvation. A life lived in Jesus is far better than a life wasted outside of Christ. It's a life with purpose. Look what it says in verse 22: You have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. Just as our lives used to be wasted. Uh, In sin, Paul looked at it and said, what in the world did it produce? It produced nothing. Now, in Jesus, our lives can be productive. We can bear fruit for the glory of God. Many people think, especially young people, dealt with this as a youth pastor all the time, think that living the Christian life is drudgery, misery, sadness. Can't be happy as a Christian. But they're wrong. By the way, why do people think that? Why do people think that living a Christian life is so miserable? I don't want to be mean today, but this is just the, the honest truth because so many Christians are miserable. That's why. We walk around, we frown, we complain, lips dragging on the ground. We're not happy the way that we ought to be happy. And so that's the way the world sees us. What many people fail to grasp is that the true Christian life is not a life lived out; it is a life lived through. We are to allow, we are to yield ourselves. Even Romans twelve one, our bodies, our very bodies, our actions, we're to yield them to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Him to live His life through us. It's a life of purpose. In living for Christ it's also a life with promise look at verse 23 the second part the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord while the sinful life pays in wages God gives a gift amen it gives a, it pays the wages of death but God gifts us those who trust him everlasting life Wages are something you work for, but a gift is something you simply receive. Oh, listen, friend, there is no comparison with what I had when I was lost to what I have now that I'm saved, and you neither. Thank God in Jesus, the Bible says in John 5, 24, we are passed from death unto life. So, reading this passage today, I simply ask you again, whose slave are you? You're someone's slave. You're a slave to sin, to self, to your own selfish pursuits, or you're a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad to tell you today that if you find yourself serving the wrong master, unlike in our history and in many places today where slavery is still a very real problem, you can change masters anytime you please. Change masters. If you're, is your master Jesus today, then rejoice in that. In Him you have found life and liberty. You have found peace and purpose. You've found all that you need. Oh, the difference, my friend, is so plain to see all throughout this chapter, Romans chapter 6. It all lies in those last few words of verse 23. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where we get our strength. That's where we get our ability. Because I can tell you, friend, I have no ability in and of myself. If I trust me to get the job done, I fail every single time. We've got to put our faith and trust in Him. Whose slave are you today? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads this morning.